back to my burns. This is burn lecture four, breath of fire, inhalation injury. So inhalation injury is very important. It causes the majority of burn deaths, between 5,000 and 10,000 deaths annually. In burn patients, the history is very important, but in the subset of patients that are at risk for inhalation injury, the history is vital. Patients who are burned in outdoor spaces almost never have inhalation injury. And why is that? Well, the inhalation injury is not from the thermal heat portion of a burn, but rather small particulate matter that is released when things around a structure are burning. So think the carpets, the walls, the curtains, plastics, all of those release small toxic particles that if a patient is trapped in that space, get deep down into the lungs. Usually the superglottic structures are very good at keeping things out of your lungs. That is part of physiology that is so important to keep things out of your lungs. But if you're in an enclosed space and the only air that is available is full of particulate matter, those are the people that get inhalation injuries. If you think about it, if you're standing around a campfire, you're near a fire, but you're outdoors. So whatever's burning from that campfire is dispersed into the air and you don't get inhalation injury. Versus if you lit a campfire in the middle of your living room and things started catching on fire, you're only left air that is contaminated with those particles. And that's who gets inhalation injury. So you have got to get a hold of the medics, the family, fire department, and say, hey, you know, where did you find this person? Where was the burn? How long were they exposed to this heat? Why is this important? Well, too many people are intubated pre-hospital and in the ED. If you look at the literature, between 30 and 50% of people were unnecessarily intubated in the emergency department or pre-hospital. That is not an insignificant number. If you're on a ventilator, there's all sorts of risks of airway damage, pneumonias. It prolongs your hospital stay. So this is not a small thing. So how can we decide if our patient has inhalation injury? There are a number of tests, none of which are particularly specific in diagnosing burn injury. Some are sensitive, but none are considered super reliable when it comes to inhalation injury. So chest x-ray is basic. It's easy to get, but it has minimal role because if it's negative, it cannot rule out inhalation injury. What about CTs and biomarkers? There's not enough data. This is very inconclusive. You cannot base your decision on CT scans or any kind of biomarkers. So what can you do? Well, you want to think about the pathophysiology in kind of three different portions of the airway. You're going to evaluate the upper airway first. Do they have facial burns? Is their mouth burned? You know, do they have significant facial swelling? Do they have carbonaceous sputum or soot in the nares or singeing of nasal hairs. One caveat is, I don't know if any of you guys have spent some time around a campfire, but if you spend enough time there and you put a Q-tip up your nose, Ew. So you'll have soot in your nose. That doesn't mean you have an inhalation injury. It just means that you have been exposed to this particulate matter. So you have to use some of these things with a grain of salt. But when you evaluate the upper airway, you want to evaluate for edema, carbonaceous sputum, and singed nasal hairs. The lower airway, we evaluate generally using 
bronchoscopy. In our burn center, we have to have a significant suspicion, so somebody that was down in an enclosed space, in order to perform bronchoscopy. And in general, on bronchoscopy, you're looking for airway lesions, airway edema, carbonaceous sputum, some indication that you've had some deeper injury to the lungs. And those are the people that we truly consider have inhalation injury. If you have visible injury on bronchoscopy, we consider that inhalation injury. Once you consider diagnosing this, how do you treat it? So the mainstay of this is getting all of that junk that gets down into the lungs back out. So you coughing, deep breathing. We give these patients nebulizer treatments, uh, beta-2 agonists. They also use nebulized heparin to kind of help open up and break up all of these secretions and cellular casts that form down in the airway. A lot of the time we do serial bronchoscopy, supplemental oxygen, and then some of these patients do need to be intubated and get serial bronchoscopy and other airway pulmonary toilet using percussive ventilation or other airway strategies to clean these guys out and give their lungs time to heal. Going back to the question of to be intubated or not to be intubated. Things that everybody agrees on need intubation are people who are comatose or obtunded, people who are come in in respiratory distress, anybody that has significant strider that isn't easily resolved, airway edema, refractory hypoxia, hypercarbia that's refractory to basic measures, and really big burns. The other questionable things are people with carbonaceous sputum. Again, think campfire. Singed nasal hairs, same thing. It means that there is the possibility for inhalation injury, but it's not specific for inhalation injury. Face and neck burns, these again really depend on the exposure. If you have a very superficial flame burn to the neck or the face, those aren't people that we're worried about inhalation injury. If you have a very deep burn to the neck or the face, suggesting that you've had prolonged exposure to a heat source, we would be more worried about inhalation injury. One special group of people I want to cover who almost never, I repeat, never have inhalation injury are people who are burned when they are smoking on their home oxygen. If you look at all the burn literature, almost none of these patients have inhalation injury. And when you think about it, if you have a patient that was burned on oxygen, the number one reason these people get intubated is for hypoxia, but they were on oxygen in the first place. Don't forget that. So you have to know how much oxygen they were on before they blew up their oxygen tank. Put them on that amount of oxygen. And if they don't have any of those other hard signs for intubation and they're satting okay, you don't need to intubate that person. So that special category of flame berms while smoking on oxygen. The last tip I want to leave you with is if you are going to intubate these people because they have some other indication or you're really concerned about inhalation injury or you have a transport that you're worried about, please, please, please use a big endotracheal tube, 7580 if you can get it at minimum seven because these people need at least diagnostic bronchoscopy, if not serial therapeutic bronchoscopies. And we can't fit a therapeutic bronchoscope down anything smaller than a seven, again, preferably an 80 tube. So in recap, the history is everything in diagnosing inhalation injury. You have to know that that person was in an enclosed space. They had that exposure and that prolonged exposure to particulate matter 
from burning substances. If they have some other reason to intubate them, that is, you know, commonly accepted. You've got the abtunded patient, the patient that's truly in respiratory distress, by all means intubate them. But for everybody else, think twice about intubating that patient. And one practical tip is you can always communicate with your burn center, give them the story, talk to them about your concerns, and they can help guide you in whether or not to intubate that patient. 